I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I'm the practice owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group, currently speaking with practice owners about acquiring some or all their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have our colleague, Eric Miller, back on the show. He is the chief advisor and co-owner at Econologics Financial Advisors. And recently he has written and published a brand new book. It's out right now. We're going to give you the Amazon address and the website where you can learn more about it. The book is How to Become a Financial Beast, Harness the Power of Your Practice to Build Personal Wealth and Go Out at the Top of Your Game. Before we get into that, let's welcome on Eric Miller. Eric, how are we doing? I'm doing good. Pleasure to be here. Good to see you again. Excellent. Great to have you back. So I guess the first question is, you're busy, your firm, your practice is busy. You guys are helping a lot of practice owners. Why spend the time and the effort? I'm I'm sure it's challenging. Why go out and, and write a book? I think after a period of time when you do something over and over again, there's a certain amount of like confidence that you get that you know how to help people, especially in a certain area. And all of the successful actions that you see people employ to get results, you want to share them. Like what are the things that have allowed practice owners to really achieve a level of financial independence or financial freedom that others should be able to experience? And that was really the, what I, I wanted to do. I wanted to like really put in a, in a concise way. These are all the things that practice owner can do to be successful financially and to get results. That was that's why I did. Excellent. And just for the practice owners listening now that maybe didn't hear your first time on here, can you give yeah. a little bit of a background of yourself and Econologics? Because the next question I want to ask is. Like, yep. what is a financial beast? Like, how can we define that? But first, let's give the audience a little bit of context about who you are and, and where you're coming from. Yeah, so I am, uh, our firm is a, what's called a registered investment advisor. We are financial advisors, but we only focus on working with private practice owners. I, I learned a long time ago that if I was gonna, I really wanted to make a meaningful impact in, in someone's life, I had to know something about how they made their money. And when I started working with practice owners, one of the first thing I realized was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to give them financial guidance if I don't know anything about their biggest investment, which is, of course, their, their practice. And so many practice owners are, I hate to say it, they're, they're underserved with the advice that they're getting because most advisors, as I was, didn't take into consideration the power of, of their practice. And all of the cash and all the the revenue and the value that you have in that practice, how do you translate that into personal financial success? So that's that's really where we learn to like, okay, what are the profit margins of PT practice? What are the costs? Like, where can you improve to increase the value of this thing? And more importantly, making sure that you're taking your profits and translating that into your household for a number of reasons. But that's that's the story behind where we came from. 
Got it. And so what is a financial beast? Or, yeah. or, what, or what could, how could one become a financial beast if they're not already one? Yeah. So I guess when you hear the term beast, right, what do you think of? You think of like a, like a big animal, but I think in today's world, you know, you hear, you talk about like beast mode and you think of like someone that's, that is conquering, like has been able to conquer a, a certain area. And that's what I think about. So someone that's a financial beast is really a practice owner that has gotten themselves into a financial condition where you know, they don't really care about all the external noise that they hear. They've handled their own quote unquote personal economy. They're in charge of their financial life. They've created enough abundance. They've created enough in assets and income and resources that they can survive anything. And that's really what a financial beast would be. And for practice owners listening, in terms of harnessing their practice to build personal wealth, I know sometimes with practice owners, like, of course, we're all doing it to help patients and help our community. Do you, when you're speaking with practice owners, is it that they have to be maybe a later stage practice owner to be focusing more about their their financial their financial wealth and how it's translating into like their retirement and things like that, as opposed to like a younger practice owner? Or do they have to go through some financial challenges first where they have like a rude awakening and they they realize they like need to work with someone like you, like... How does that work out in terms of like the different practice owners that you've come across? You know, certainly, well, I think people, when you first start your business, look, I mean, there is an element where you kind of take in everything that comes in and it just goes right back out, right? Because you're trying to build your business and build a marketing machine and, and hire people. But there does have to come a point in time where this, the business that you're creating does need to serve the needs of the household. Because if you look in corporate America, I think every, every big corporation has a parent company. And they have subsidiary companies that feed the parent company. Well, the way I look at it, the household is the parent company. And the business is there to serve the needs of the household. So there has to be some element of compensation that the business is providing to that parent company, which is the household. Because that's really, you know, you look at the ownership of your business, it's you, right? And whoever else in your household would maybe own that business. But that's where the concept comes from. And I think when you, when you start allocating profits and channeling some of that to the household, it just, it makes your business better as well. It makes it more valuable. It certainly puts more of a demand on the revenue that you need to make because now you're essentially, I'm having people take like a management fee and having that go to the parent company, not for just consumption purposes, but to build other assets, you know, so that you're not reliant upon the business sale for your entirety of your retirement. And I think that's an important point. I mean, look, the sale of your business is, is going to be one of the biggest financial transactions of anyone's life. It should be a big number. I just don't want people to be 100% reliant on the sale of the practice to fund their retirement. So along the way, we have to learn how to build other income sources. I think that's just a prudent thing to do. Got it. And when you say the household, are you referring to the practice owner and the spouse in terms of like, not just, you said consumption. So not just like the, the rent or the mortgage payments and, you know, like food and clothing and things like that. But with the household, it's, you're also, I'm assuming talking about retirement accounts and you said other investments or other assets. So whether they're, I mean, there's other practice owners right now that are coming up to be interviewed on my show soon, other practice owners that are looking to go in and do other investments like self-storage and kind of do other projects and other like side investments and alternative investments. Is that kind of what you mean by when you say household, is that like 
is it, did I say some of the things and maybe there's other things that we haven't covered? No, you got it right there. So again, uh, the, the, the household is for us is like the parent company. Okay. And any asset that you own, whether it's your business, whether it's real estate, whether it's retirement accounts, whether it's cash accounts, whether it's a side business, those are all kind of under the umbrella of the parent company, which is the house, right? Well, to buy real estate, to invest in other companies, you're going to need money to do that. So I think the idea of, of creating multiple income sources is, is not new. And I think everyone has heard that that's probably a desirable thing to do. I think what happens to a lot of practice owners is they, they get ahead of themselves on doing that. They don't get their main business really humming and purring and viable enough where you can take significant profits out of the business to create other income sources, to invest in self-storage units or apartment complexes or in stocks and bonds or insurance, whatever it is. It's the sequence in which they do that that I tend to find You know, people don't get that main source humming and purring first and then figure out a way to channel the profits off to do those other things. Got it. And then the, before we go into the second part of the, the title of the book, the part that's phrased as go out at the top of your game, uh, yeah. what, what other components for practice owners that are, are kind of either learning more about or they need assistance or help with harnessing the power of their practice? What other components that maybe other chapters or other areas of the book that would kind of fill in some of the gaps here on that section? Well, certainly, you know, how to, I think a big thing is making sure that you are setting up the right accounts inside of your practice to ensure, because look, I think with what happened in COVID, a lot of us felt unprepared for, hey, if, if our business is shut down, I can't see patients, you know, you're only like a month or two away, most people are from being insolvent. Okay. And so I think one of the best chapters of the book is is really setting up the four most important accounts, which includes 10% to pay to your household, business reserves, expansion, taxes, all these things that people don't really look at as like expenses. But you have to make sure that those the money is is set up and flowing to those accounts. Well, that does a couple of things. The most important thing it does is it sets the right make-break number for a practice. And if and you you know you know as well as I do. I ask most practice owners what their make-break number is. They're going to give me the barest minimum of what they need to bring in just to get by. And what I'm trying to tell people is like, you cannot have that mentality. Your make-break number needs to include your buffers, needs to include your profits and you know payment to yourself and payment to yourself as an owner, all these things. If it doesn't, then you're operating on the wrong number. And that's why you struggle. That's why you can't pay your taxes. That's why you don't have enough money for expansion. That's why you had to take all the government assistance because you didn't have that. So that's that's a big part of the, the book that I try to really get owners to see is that you have to calculate your numbers correctly. One of the biggest mistakes most owners make is the underestimation of how much they really need to make to live the life that they want to live. And that includes what their business needs to do as well. Hope that answers it- the question. Yeah. And so in terms of the life that they want to live, that could be right now, like in the next, you know, like real time. Yeah. And then also like the life that they want to live after like a transition, after exiting or retiring or whatever. Right. Because there's like and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know, like a practice owner. Do they differentiate like, OK, here's what I need. To, here's, you know, maybe I 
work with Eric and, and your firm and kind of figure out those numbers and get things like straightened out. But they're maybe in their maybe they're in growth mode or maybe they're they're just like they're in quote unquote business mode and and this is like this year or next year or the next you know three to five years. And that practice owner that's maybe thinking about retiring or exit strategy and all that, maybe they should be the same person. But in some cases, I feel like the owners that I've worked with or, or spoken with and, and known over the years, they might think that it's like two different individuals. It's like two different practice owners in many ways. I don't I don't know if if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I mean, look, I mean, there's three things you can do with money, right? You can save it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. And those are really the three options that you have. And I think when when you ask someone like, hey, how much money do you need? I ask that question to, to live the life that you want to live. I think people kind of just when I ask them that question, they're like, they're only thinking about how much I need right now to kind of pay my bills. Right, and, right. and they don't really think about how to by themselves time. And one of the things that, that I really try to do is to get people to think in the future and a prediction of things that they're going to need and want. So when I ask people like, how much money do you really need to make to live the life that you want to live? I have to include not only what their current consumption is, but I also have to include you know discretionary income for things that come up and the ability to to allocate money towards future investments that will pay them cash flow so they don't have to rely upon just the business for the rest of their lives. So it just I try to rewire how they think a little bit. And I think what that does is it makes them look at their business a little bit differently and really gives them permission to to pay themselves and to really look at this business as something now that I have to like I have to increase the value of this thing. Because it is going to be a really important asset when I decide to exit, whenever that is. Okay, and I, and I think that's the that's the biggest thing we try to get across to practice owners is the the exit is going to happen at some point in time, and you know I want to make sure that you squeeze every bit of value out of that business that you possibly can. But something you got to start thinking about. I don't really think it matters where you are in your practice ownership journey, whether you're just starting or you're mid career or maybe you're two or three years away. You have to start thinking about how am I going to do that? And how can I utilize my practice better so I can accelerate the process? So owners, if they're maybe worn out and tired from the pandemic, maybe they're looking at their options of exiting versus an owner who's maybe either is, you know, chronologically younger or just has more energy or whatever. And that maybe the second owner is like looking to grow and looking to expand. You're saying like those two individuals don't necessarily need to have different approaches. They should both be focusing on their financials because I was thinking like as we're talking, practice owners, what if a practice owner says to you like, and they're a client of yours, let's just say, and they're like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to allocate a lot of the, a lot of the dollars to all these different accounts and all different areas because they're looking to take that money and grow to the second, third, fifth, 10th location have you had any of those challenging conversations with practice owners where they're looking to grow faster, maybe even aggressively, uh, maybe in a beast mode type of way yeah. uh, versus a practice owner who is two or three years away from uh, retiring? Like, what, what do you say to a, a client, a practice owner that is looking to grow and expand and either thinks or believes that they need a lot of their capital to be going into those investments of growth and expansion. Yep. And maybe that comes at, at the detriment of their own retirement accounts and things like that. Well, that's a good question. And I think what ends up happening is, is that 
Number one, I never tell someone not to expand. Like to me, I want every owner because I think that most of them have some limiting beliefs when it comes to expansion. They only want to get so big. They only want to, you know, stay a certain range because they think that it's easier than, let me tell you something. I being smaller is hard. Being bigger is so much easier on you. Having multiple practices, having a lot of help, that's much easier. But, you know, I would just say this to someone that, that said, I just want to take all the money I'm making and just, and just dump it right back into, to growth. And, and, you know, I would, I would certainly not deter that person from doing that. I would just say, why don't we at the same time, why can't we do both? Why can't we take, you know, a portion of this, these profits that you're making, maybe put it over here into something where you still have liquidity, where you still have access to it, but, you know, it's not necessarily going into your next, into your next project. Maybe you finance your next project. Maybe we use debt on the next project because, and you need more liquidity. I mean, there's a thousand and one things that we could probably cover on that, but I don't think I'd ever tell someone like to take every available dollar that you got because you do need liquidity. You do at some point in time want to manage some of the risk as well. And there's a fine line be- between like just being a pirate, which is like, a lot of practice owners are just want to just be in growth mode. They're like they're like pirates, right? I'm just going to do it, and and then making sure that you are prudent from the household level, and that you that you establish liquidity, and you know you have free credit lines, and I think there's a balance between the two. So it's a fun yeah, conversation to have for sure. And of course, with debt, a practice owner could use the SBA 504 loan program. It's up yeah. to five million, so there could be expansion. Depending on your, you know, your relationship with your bankers and your, you know, SBA loan preferred loan lenders that are maybe nearby, and you know, a track record that you might have financially with with some of those financial institutions, there could be expansion that way where it's leveraged with a, a fairly, I mean, an ever changing interest rate, but a, still fairly low in, in the grand scheme of things, where it could actually not be. It doesn't necessarily have to be all of their own equity. You know, right. that they could leverage some of the some of that debt for expansion. And there's, you know, and there's uh, insurance policies and securities back lines of credit that, you know, you can still have your own investments and just leverage them to be able to expand when you're ready to do that. And and that's part of, you know, every client that I work with, I want them, I want them to buy their own real estate. I want them to buy their buildings. I want them to, you know, be able to, to fund satellite practices and all those things. We certainly encourage people to do that because I, that's, I mean, look, you're not going to get rich buying the S&P 500 index. Okay, you're not going to get rich owning a municipal bond. Yeah, you're going to get rich through your business ownership and your real estate. That's how you're going to get wealthy. But at the same time, you know, you can't have everything correlated and you do need to have some other investments that don't necessarily correlate to your business and real estate risk. Got it. Yeah. So let's get to the second part of the book title. So again, the book title, How to Become a Financial Beast, Harness the Power of Your Practice to Build Personal Wealth and go out at the top of your game. So when I read that, obviously it's very, it's written very well. It's appealing. Any practice owner that sees it wants to go out at the top of their game. So right off the bat, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to your clients and and practice owners? Well, I think going out the top of your game means that you're, you're transitioning how and when you want to, you're not being forced to do it uh, on on your terms. Yeah, you're doing it on your terms. You're not doing it in, in a uh, moment of burnout. Yeah, I think you mentioned that word earlier, right? Like not, we see that a lot. Oh, I'm just burnout. I don't, you know, and that, that's always an indicator to me 
of a practice owner that is not getting the correct amount of either compensation or recognition, or they're just putting forth a lot of effort into something and they're not getting any exchange back. Like you can imagine, like if you were, you know, you worked 150 hours and you put all your, your, your energy, your time, your love into something and you didn't really get much back. I mean, that's going to make you tired. That's going to make you burn out. It's going to make you angry. It's going to make all these things. So I don't want people to have that mindset of that's not going out the top of your game. You know, it's not the last shot like Michael Jordan did when, you know, he made the, you know, made the last shot and, and that's going out the top of your game. Going, going out when you are feel good, you feel like there's not really much to do left with your current practice, but you've got it into such a condition where it's valuable, it's profitable, it's sustainable, it's transferable. And it's going to be a win-win-win for everybody involved, not just you. It'll be a win for your patients. It'll be a win for the staff. It'll be a win for the community. It'll be a win for everybody. That's going out at the top of your head. Do you have uh, practice owner clients that speak with you or ask you questions around the time when they're maybe speaking with other potential buyers and they're looking to you know take some chips off the table? Maybe they're looking to sell 60, 70, 80% of their practice, or in some cases, sell 100% of their practice. Are you helping and assisting some of those practice owners? I mean, they, they probably have an attorney, they probably have an accountant, maybe even a broker or advisor for the actual transaction. Yeah. But as a financial advisor, do you also kind of speak with practice owners and kind of help them along that way? I have to, because I need to give them confidence. If you're going to give up ownership of your business, which it's a mighty cash flow, like the amount of uh, cash flow that your business provides you. I don't think enough people realize just how much that is. And, and no matter, I mean, you would have to sell your practice for like 20 times earnings to be able to generate the same amount of cash flow that you get while you own it. Like it's, I can't, I can't match the cash flow on the sale proceeds. Okay. You know, example, let's say that I'm making $200,000 a year from my practice. Okay. And I sell it for $2 million. Well, I sell it for two million. I got to pay a million and a half, or you know, half a million in taxes. Now I'm left one point five. Well, I can't match, you know, two hundred thousand on one point five million of proceeds safely. You see what I mean? When practice owners are going and they're and they're speaking with potential buyers. Oh yeah, like why? Yeah, why? Why would they? So what do we help them with? I just give them permission to say, look, here's what the sale is going to look like. When I take this in, into consideration, along with all of your other income sources and how the deal is structured, this is what your life is going to look like. Your household's going to look like from a cash flow perspective. And what that does, it gives them not only permission, but it allows them to have the confidence to say, that's enough for me. Let's pull the trigger. Or that's not enough for me. It's too wire thin and I need a little bit more time. So we really do help owners that way. I don't get much into the negotiations, although I will tell you I had a story where one of my advisors was uh, working with a client and he was looking at his, his his numbers and he goes, you know what? You should go back and, and ask the, the buyer for $500,000 more. Your profit margins have really increased during the due diligence phase and it really does warrant another half a million dollars. The attorney was... He turned white. He's like, don't do it. You're going to ruin the whole deal. And um, what ended up happening is that the owner did go back and say, hey, look, can, you know, 
here are the numbers. Can we have another 500,000? And they gave it to him because he asked, right? And I think the, the part of that is that you only get one shot at this exit. So make sure you negotiate correctly. And that's why I think it's beneficial to have a good team around you of people that have been through this before and can give you the proper guidance on that. I don't know how old that story was, but if if you can recall, like how long was the the due diligence period? Because I know in some cases it could be, you know, two or three months. Yeah. In some cases it could be six to nine months. So it depends on what length of time we're talking about where the profit margin could actually change in a meaningful way over think, X amount think, of time. Yeah, I think it was it was uh I think it was about five months. I w- it was another it was another industry though where the valuations were going bananas. So it was in the veterinary industry. So that, that's why I haven't seen that in the PT industry. But I guess the point is like, don't be afraid to negotiate. You know, the only, this is the biggest financial transaction of your life. You need to make sure that you do it correctly, for sure. And, and in that story, you said the practice owner's attorney went white because he didn't, he wanted the deal to continue. Like he didn't yeah, want something didn't, thrown he, in the he, mix or he didn't want, he didn't want him to ask for more. He thought he was going to offend the buyer. By by asking and and then therefore money. potentially have some and issue with the deal or squash, and squash the whole deal. And I tried to tell him I was like, look, especially if you're selling to corporate, I go, they don't get offended that easy, and oh, they'll just tell you no. And so, but you will never know unless you ask. So that was the point, you know. Unfortunately, he didn't fire the attorney, but uh, or fortunately, I guess. But it was just one of those things where that's the kind of thing that we look at. So it's like. I'm not going to do that for everybody. I'm not going to tell everyone just to just go ask for more money if it's not warranted. But certainly, we sometimes we see holes like that, and we're like, you know, I think it'd be you could probably get a little bit more. But most importantly, is that you know this thing is set up so that it really is going to completely change your life, and you shouldn't have any concerns about money afterwards. I think that a sale should be able to do that for you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think you and I, on the first time you were on the show, I think we talked a bit about exit strategy. And when we're thinking about or discussing that or with practice owners thinking about it, succession plan versus exit strategy, I think succession plan is a little bit more of like who's actually the successor, like whether it's the clinic director, the the, the team that you already have set up, it could be part of the the buyer is going to bring in some talent as well. But it, I'm assuming like the exit strategy on how you would define it or how you term it with your clients, the exit strategy is a little bit more of something that you can kind of help them with because again, it's their it's not just the asset that they're looking to sell, but it's the financials of, like you said, kind of replacing the cash flow of yeah. the asset that they've had this whole time. And then like, can they even afford it? And can they even afford to exit? And what are they going to be doing to replace their income during retirement? Those types of things, right? Yeah, those are all certainly all things that we look at for an exit. Because again, the last thing you want to do is give up ownership of, of an income producing asset like a business like that. And you know, there's multiple ways you can exit, but you know, we just the owner needs to find one that is most in alignment with how he wants or she wants their, their life to look like after after they sell. And for some that's private equity recapitalization, for some it's associate buy-in, for some it's a you know management buy-in or a buyout, for some it's selling to a competitor, for some maybe it's like doing an ESOP or something like that. I mean, there's just there's multiple strategies that I guess what we don't want is for you to just die with your boots on and or just have to close the doors down. Those are two exits. Those are exit strategies, but those are not very desirable ones. And what are some ways? I mean, right off, like when I hear that, it's like typically 
a practice will close down when it's like just a solo practice owner and it's less likely to close down when there's like multiple staff there. So what what are some other maybe signals or things to avoid that are fairly maybe either even obvious or or just, you know, speed bumps to look out for? Because I agree, practice owners, I'm a physical therapist and practice owner myself for a practice owner to just close their doors and, and walk away. That is like then that practice can no longer help and serve the community. So it, it's terrible for like dozens or hundreds of people, not just the practice owner and their family. So yeah. what, are, what are some pitfalls? What are some challenges, maybe some tips or, or strategies that you might have in terms of advice for practice owners out there to avoid? Well, I mean, certainly uh, I think the biggest, the biggest thing is that, and we talked about this earlier, is like you, you have to treat it like an investment, not a job. And for someone like that, that just walks away like that, they're treating their practice like a job and not an investment. Okay. And, you know, they're not creating systems. They are, they're trying to do all the work themselves. They don't put a premium on marketing and getting new patients and, you know, just trying to build a company. And I think that's, that is the thing that that's the biggest pitfall is just trying to do everything on your own. I guess there's a, there's a point in time where you have to do that, but there's also a point in time where you have to take the practitioner hat off and really learn how to be an executive and an owner. And those are two different sets of skills. Most PTs did not go to school how to learn how to do those things. So you either open up a book and learn how to be a good executive or hire a coach that can help you do those things. But you have to make sure that you wear someone's wearing those roles because that will help the business expand. Like if you're getting people on board and know what they're doing and job descriptions and, and those kinds of things. But you know, it's, it's not going to happen until you have a plethora of patients coming in the door that need to be helped. And then I think you can you can scale it from there. So those are some some pitfalls that we've seen. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, on behalf of the physical therapy industry and as, as a practice owner myself, thank you for putting out a resource and a book like this, How to Become a Financial Beast, Harness the Power of Your Practice to Build Personal Wealth and Go Out at the Top of Your Game. Where can the audience find the book? I know you had mentioned in the pre-interview that it's on Amazon, but also econologicsfinancialadvisors.com. If you go to econologics.com, I think, I guess you said both of those links will reroute to the same website, your firm's website, and then they'll be able to see the book on there. Yeah, you go to just econologics.com or econologicsfinancialadvisors.com. Either one of those two will direct you. And uh, I think we have the, the Beast book, a link to, to buy the book on Amazon right on the homepage. So it should be pretty easy to do. But definitely get it. I think every practice owner should have this book. I think it'll help them from, you know, a number of things, but, you know, I guess most importantly, just give you the confidence that uh, I think a lot of people are lacking in just some of the basic data that a lot of practice owners need to make sure that, that they have their attention on being successful financially. It's totally okay for you to have money. It's totally fine for you to have a lot of income and resources and assets. Uh, it, you know, you don't have to be broke for the rest of your life. You don't have to live like a student. Uh, you can't have everything that you want, um, but there is a path to be able to do that. Excellent. Perfect place to end it. Eric, uh, in regards to anyone reaching out to you or your firm, what's the best place for them to either reach out to you, connect further, whether it's LinkedIn, your website, reach out to you or learn more about your firm? Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, we do have a, uh, you can uh, look for me at LinkedIn. I have to see, I think it's under Eric Miller. But uh, again, I just go to the website, econologics.com would be the best place to go out and reach, uh, reach out to us. Excellent. Check out the book, folks. And in the audience, if you found this valuable, if you found this helpful, copy the link of this episode, the YouTube link, the iTunes, Spotify, text it or email it to one colleague, one 
individual who you met at PPS or a conference or a physical therapy school that you met at some continuing education course or something like that. For someone that's business minded and is looking at things like this, their finances, their exit strategy, their succession plan, send it to one colleague, one friend that's either in the industry or maybe in a different healthcare industry. And we would appreciate that. That's it for Dave Kittle and Eric Miller here on the Dave Kittle Show. Thank you. See you next time. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.